Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Second Row Podcast. It's Pro 14 semi-final time. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ocean Collins. How are you? Before we get going, thanks to all of you who have tuned in for our debut season. We're available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher and all Android podcast apps. Thanks especially to those of you who have provided feedback, who have shared and liked the pod. You are brilliant. It really is helpful. And a special shout out to Darody or at Shanta Fuzz who listens all the way from Australia. I still want to find out who this Peruvian listener we have is. We miss you. I, so do I. If you're listening, contact us. Definitely. Um, what have we got in the news this week? Lots going on, actually. Lots of end of season transfer stuff from the Irish teams. Yeah, um, it's fairly impressive, but there's 21 players have re-signed for Leinster. Yeah, I saw that article. I mean, how many of those do you think they re-signed a couple of months ago, but they were like, nah, it'll be better news if we do it all at the same time. I'm pretty sure I've known about Furlong for a while anyway, but yeah. um, it's just amazing that they can keep so many fourth and fifth string players, whereas every year as a Conf, I'm like, oh my God, will we keep our first and second string? Um, yeah, although the one person Leinster couldn't keep a hang of was uh, their coach. So Gervin Dempsey is off to Bath as their attack coach for next year. Yeah, I'm not really surprised. Like Since Lancaster's arrival, the writing's kind of been on the wall for him. Like Hasn't Lancaster been doing the attack coach to some degree anyway there? Bits of it. I mean, I think Dempsey had been helping out with some of the skill stuff. So, But I mean, still, he's part of that coaching setup and he's been involved in Leinster for years. So I was, I am a little surprised to see him go. Um, very different, you'd imagine, coaching style to Todd Blackadder at Bath as well. Definitely. And like... He needs to go out and learn if he wants to come back and take a head coach job as well. So it's good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the other signings, uh, Munster picked up Arno Botha from London Irish, uh, which, again, probably might be a start of a bit of an exodus from there now that they're relegated. Definitely. But like, in all fairness, he, he was a fellow that Ulster signed and he didn't pass the medical. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, one more to add to our ranks of South Africans. Delighted. Yeah, so I can officially call you the South African province, yeah? And officially call us the New Saracens. Oh, I'm not that mean. <laughs> um, and Connacht have a couple of guys picked up as well. Yeah, so Joe Maximu from Leicester and Johnny Murphy from Rotherham. You know, I presume that's not our old Johnny Murphy, is it? No, no, he was from the Ulster Academy and he moved to Rotherham there last season. Okay. Now you guys have picked up a couple of neat transfers from the championship over there. I mean, Tom Farrell, Connor Carey, possibly, you know, hope he's of the same type of standard. Definitely. And we seem to have an environment where players from the championship team to thrive. So hopefully he's another one. International news, Ireland back to the scene of the crime, off to Soldier Field to play Italy next year. The Irish men's squad has been announced for Moscow, and our women's sevens team had their highest ever finish uh, in Canada, sixth place. It's great to see the sevens improve. Yeah, it's really taken off in Ireland recently, but nice to see that both teams are, are doing well. Definitely. But if you go back to the, the 15s game at the World Cup, Russia and Ireland's group. Yeah, so the, the second tier rugby championship qualification scandal nonsense has finally bottomed out. Well, pending an appeal. Yeah pending an appeal um, but it looks like Russia were one of a, a minority of teams themselves Portugal and Germany were all playing ball so Russia are straight in and we'll have either the Portuguese or the Germans joining them in the World Cup tell you this is a listen to every college student out there do not use Wikipedia as a source <laughs> um, and one other team not playing by the rules is the WRU who have had three of their Welsh players prevented from joining the summer tour um, basically because they deliberately picked a test window that was outside the international break. It's like Warren Gatlin's perfectly shooting across the bow of all players that aren't playing in Wales, going, lads, if you're not home, you're not playing. 
Yeah, that or he's picking a fight with um, the Premier Rugby guys. Either of which is, is a stupid, pointless exercise in Gatlandism. So that's all the news for the week. I guess on to the rugby. And we have three pretty significant games, actually. Yeah, the Pro 14 semi-finals start the weekend. And we end with the European qualifier. Absolutely. One team, and like a serious pedigree team, either of Ulster or Ospreys, is not coming back to Europe next season. Um, do you want to talk about that first? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, it's it's oddly the game that has, in a weird way, has most riding on it. Yeah, in a lot of ways, and I mean, it's also one that, in theory, should be easy enough to predict, given that these two sides played each other in Ravenhill about four or five weeks ago. In in what was, you know, the most unwatchably terrible game of rugby I've seen all year. But yet, at the same time, incredibly memorable because of that fact. Sure, sure, we'll give it that. I mean, any game that gets as far as the 76th minute or something and is still 3-0, I mean, I wasn't exactly crossing my fingers and toes for a repeat of this one. I'm telling you right now, this will not be a repeat of that, that match. Like, there's no Best, no Henderson, no Ray, no Dazil for Ulster. Like, that ain't looking good. In particular, given that in the games where they have looked good recently, it's where their forwards have been able to get parity. And, like, not only are they missing ball carriers and ruckers there, that's like two of their big leaders in Best and Henderson. Uh, like I feel, I genuinely fear for them because Ospreys are going to be rested, and from what I can tell, full strength. And there is another angle to this match as Alan Clark returns home. Yeah, so I mean, having gone to the Ospreys, uh, done a gig over there as their interim head coach, he was announced as the the permanent coach at the end of the season. And he's coming home to, to try and sew it into Ulster. You'd imagine there'd be no split loyalties, though, you know? No, and to be perfectly honest, I'd say he'll want to make sure Ospreys win. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, uh, he'll be managing a team in the Challenge Cup next year, so nobody particularly wants that. I'm pretty sure he didn't leave on the best of terms either. No, so, I mean, a nice chance to sew it into the old bosses. Exactly. From an Ospreys perspective, the other interesting thing, Dan Bigger's last game, either way. That's right, he's off to Northampton now next season. He'll want to give a good performance. He'll, he'll want to leave it high. And I think, you know, he can be mercurial. And particularly if Ulster are lacking a bit of direction in the forwards, he could spend a lot of time tearing them apart. I have a feeling that's going to be a long Sunday afternoon for Ulster fans. So I guess what where are Ulster going to have to win this match? Just Cooney keeping the scoreboard ticking over and hope for 72 intercept tries courtesy of Stockdale? That's if Cooney starts, to be perfectly honest. And... Yeah. Right there is um the crux of it. Yeah, I mean, McPhillips has had a good season, but without the steadying influence of Cooney inside him, he just hasn't been the same type of player. Um, The back line are great, they can produce magic, etc., etc. But from my perspective, I I would think this could be the Ospreys coming away with a scalp here. That's fair. I, I kind of agree. But I put a poll up on the second row Twitter, and, you know, it's coming out 60-40 in favour of Ulster. Ravenhill is a huge advantage for them. Yeah, but I mean, in years gone by, it was a bit of a fortress, but I can see it being pretty effectively stormed by the Welsh region in this case. Nonetheless, a good way to end the weekend, and a weekend that starts off in fine form on Friday evening. Yeah, league leaders versus the reigning champions, and two teams that play lovely rugby. Yeah, and I mean, Friday Night Lights, these games always are good crack, and I'm kind of just hoping that both sides bring their A game because they have looked off the boil a couple of times this year. Well, these Scarlets have kind of have been kind of improving towards the end of the season, where Glasgow seemed to be falling off a cliff the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they've been pretty shambolic for the last couple of weeks. To be fair, 
but like they have a very strong team named. Yeah, so I mean, Stuart Hogg, Tommy Seymour, Finn Russell are all unbelievable quality players, and their their second row of Swinson and Gray could arguably be you know Scotland's second row coming into the Six Nations. Yeah, but like in all fairness, if they're chasing the game, there's not much that the bench can do for them. No, it's not exactly in the Eddie Jones mold of finishers that are going to come on and win the game for you. Scarlets, by contrast, are looking so settled. Like, I mean, this is, what, two, three changes from the last couple of games that they played at most? Yeah, and like, these guys have something to fight for. They've been knocked out of Europe. They want to retain that trophy. Actually, sorry, that's a lie. They'll want the first Pro 14 trophy. They have the Pro 12 and stored uh, away somewhere. Last winners of the Pro 12, first winners of the Pro 14. That'd be nice. There, there is something to be said about that. Yeah, I suppose the only big change to that team is that Lee Halfpenny is going to miss it through injury. Yeah, and his ability to keep a scoreboard ticking over if this turns into a dogfight will be missed. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that, but also his defensive alignment. I mean, in Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell, you've got two players who can keep a team pinned back. And Halfpenny just knows exactly where to be. Like his, his defensive positioning is, is one of the best in the game. So missing that, I think, might be the biggest loss. But they do then get Johnny McNichols counter-attacking back into the play. Which, to some degree, makes Hogg and Seymour really need to have their kicking game on point. Because any loose kicks, they will be punished. Oh, they could be chewed up. I mean, you've got a back three there, Pridey, Evans and McNichol, who are capable of doing damage. And to be fair to Reese Patchell, you'll see him dropping back, I think, in defence as well sometimes. And his goal kicking hasn't been too shabby this year either. No, not at all. And in all fairness... Like you're talking about back three, Evans is on a run of form of his life at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking for another glorious moment like that try he got against the Cheetahs. That would be savage. And you go through the Scarlet's pack, like what more can be said about Byrne at this stage? You know, Shingler, Barkley, great players. Um, but no, it's funny. I mean, that, that Scarlet's team, basically it's been the same one through 13 for the last couple of games. So you'd have to imagine they've got their heads exactly where they need them. Yeah, and our poll on the second row... I kind of agrees with that assessment, like 70-30 favour Scarlet's to win this match. and that's Which is mad, because you'd presume it's more of a 50-50, could go either way, but it looks like uh, looks like our loyal listeners and followers are uh, of the same mind as me anyway. I, I, I can't see Glasgow getting up for this. No, I'm the same. I just thought they just haven't been playing well enough leading up to this to kind of turn it on right now, whereas at least Scarlet's have been building and have been putting in performances. Yep, 100%. So then we come to the big game of the weekend, the uh, the Irish Derby. The big game in the smaller stadium. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, the, the the stadium and the ticketing for this has been a bit of a mess, I think. And there's uh, there's another snarky article on, uh, on one of the websites this week about how, oh, the greatest fans in the world are turning down tickets. Like, I mean, just, just to play out what actually happened... Leinster originally allocated, and again, because that's what the rules of the Pro 14 are, like 25% of the RDS capacity, all Munster season ticket holders were put in a lottery unless you had like joint tickets. And then by the time Munster eventually got an additional allocation for Leinster, I mean, I know where I've got my tickets from, which is through friends of mine who were Leinster fans. So I don't know. I think it's a bit disingenuous, to be honest. We'll see how many red jerseys and blue jerseys turn up on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I know, and I'm not shy to kind of give you the give you a bit of a dig about the greatest fans in the world thing, but from everything I've heard, that seems to be a Munster and Munster Sports Club problem, not Munster fans not wanting tickets problem. But so listen, this game, what kind of 
obviously Leinster are I assume someone has dragged them onto a training pitch and out of the pub at some point this week yeah and um, Munster all made it back from Barcelona what kind of teams are we going to see I can really see um some rotation for Leinster like some definitely forced like we know Henshaw's out and there's mm. big question marks over in the say with Furlong and Sexton who've all carrying knocks yeah although you do get some players come back in or one player in particular like James Lowe is going to be absolutely itching to show what he can do after missing out in the Champions Cup final Definitely. I wonder, do you give Fardy the weekend off and so you can still have Park on the bench? Like, Scott Fardy is just such an influential player, and particularly if they want to give Big Dev a rest, you could see Scott Fardy coming in and filling a role in the second row. So it's tough to it's tough to, to do the maths on it, you know? You know, it's like my, my heart bleeds for Leo. Oh, how can I put all these players on the pitch at the same time? I hate <laughs> you, Leo. I hate you so much. Oh, it's okay. You've got 22 second rows for next year. No, we only have seven. Well, eight if you include Copeland as second row cover, for so, like some people do for some reason. Just a top tip from a Monster fan. Don't include Copeland as second row cover. <laughs> so speaking of Monster, I mean, you're likely to see, uh, you know, picked from a pretty full deck. Most of our injuries are okay. Conway and Williams are still following return to play protocols. So don't know if they're going to be available. Um, a number of the front row guys are, are recovering. Scannell, Brian Scott. But uh, I would imagine you're going to see a pretty settled team based on the team that beat Edinburgh and, and played against Racing. Um, probably going to see JJ uh, continue at 10. You must be so happy about that. Like, it depends which JJ you get, you know? Like, I mean, the guy is, has the ability to be unbelievable. And if Conor Murray starts the game and if our team starts the game a bit quicker, then maybe... Well, look, you have the potential bonus that Clote might be back. Like I know uh, O'Donoghue has been good, but Clote is just a level above. Yeah, no, I mean he's he's an elite player compared to to Jack is great, and he's got he's done a lot of work on his game. But it would be a huge bonus. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of back rows better in in the world than Peter Mahoney, Chris Clutie, and and CJ Stander. So that would be phenomenal. The only question is match fitness across all of them. You know. Like, it's weird. It's been a few weeks since your your last game. And if you're an Instagram or social media stalker like us, <laughs> you know you know that the lads have been kind of fairly relaxed in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, there is a degree of that Munster-Leinster rivalry that watching Leinster lift the trophy and add a fourth star, there will be no shortage of motivational um, articles about how Leinster are this and Leinster are that for, for Munster to be able to get up for this one. Oh, Definitely. And like Munster have the first chance to knock over the European champions. Yeah, very true. Having said that, I am not in the least bit optimistic. Uh, I I think Leinster could could come out here and blow Munster off the park, particularly if they have the same kind of dominance at rock time as they did against the Scarlets. Yeah, well, like that just means the Munster pack are going to have to work and work and work and work harder than they have all season, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and work work faster than they have all season. I mean, a slow start here and we're dead. Absolutely dead. Weirdly, though, a slow start might actually make for a better game because if Leinster take 30 minutes to get into the game themselves, then suddenly you have to... Leinster can have a slow start. Leinster, Leinster can start on 73 for all I care. But, like, if both teams have a slow start, then the game kind of then opens up a bit. Yeah, and I mean, to a certain degree, there is the whole undercurrent here that this is one of the last shots to get picked for the summer tour to Australia. Oh, uh, definitely. Like, there's going to be a high standard of player on show in the in the RDS. 
which is mad. I think this is the first time. I mean, normally Munster Leinster, just from a tickets perspective, gets pushed to the Aviva. But I think Leinster have made a really smart call putting this in the RDS, where it'll be a more kind of intimate, more familiar venue. Like, imagine this is the first time since 2010 this match hasn't been in the Aviva. That's craziness, isn't it? Like, I I can't wait. You know, I have um, I've blocked out the afternoon. I've got a bit of work to do around the house at home. And I'm telling you right now, it's getting done by three o'clock. The best motivator in the world, <laughs> rugby. Waking up at the crack of dawn, chopping wood until half two, rugby for the rest of the evening. Nice. So, last thing before we wrap up, who is your one to watch for the weekend, Park? I'm going to go with Jack Conan as my one to watch. Jack Conan? Yeah. Okay. I think he'll have so much to prove. He didn't start in the Champions Cup final. He got injured earlier in the season. Jordan Murphy took the eight, the eight jersey and made it his own. I'm guessing he'll get a break. And knowing my luck, he won't start now on Saturday. <laughs> but, yeah, I just think he has a point to prove. And this is the game he'll want to prove it in. Okay, so I'm going to go full controversial. Um, I'm going to go for JJ Hanrahan. Well, that is a, that is an acceptable pick. He is one to watch, but it could be for two very different reasons. Yeah, so a bit like last week, uh, where where um where you're looking at a player who could either ha- make or lose the game for his team. I think all eyes from Munster perspective are going to be on our fly half, and it's just down to what JJ Hanrahan turns up on the day. So hopefully, hopefully he is reaching some of the form that he was on before he left for Northampton, and you know makes this a really competitive, really attacking Munster side. Uh, I really, really hope so. That's fair enough. And as you put the commentator's curse on JJ, um, that's a wrap, I think. Uh, No. Anyway, we'll be releasing our next episode on Sunday evening, recapping this weekend's fixtures. So get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye, everyone.